This is the Biblical Mind Podcast, produced by the Center for Hebraic Thought. Honest five-star reviews help others find this podcast. Visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org for articles and videos that explore the deep structures of Scripture. So how did we get going down this road of quiet time and Bible? We had just formed the Bible Literacy Coalition back in 2021. We woke up in our respective homes over Christmas break, woke up and were, were like, oh, we right. need, I forgot about that. <laughs> we need uh, we need to fix the Bible literacy problem in this country. Yeah, we alone <laughs> can do this. Who else out there is even thinking about Bible literacy? Yes, I remember and that. Yeah. We had, because of our nonprofit and just the area we work in, we had already been aware of a lot of the organizations that were involved in helping people improve their Bible literacy. And we kind of realized that we were at least a couple steps beyond just basic literacy in our aims. We wanted to get dig deeper and help people who are already fairly Bible literate become, as we say, Bible fluent. But we still realize that Bible literacy is a huge hindrance to getting to that point. There's the lack of Bible literacy. We thought, let's get all of these organizations together that work on this problem. Let's see if there's a way we can collaborate, force multiply. Uh, let's just admit that that's a really weird thing that we're just like, let's Let's just get all of these people in a room together. <laughs> of course, and like, and somehow they actually did agree. We just started yeah. emailing them, and they're like, "Yeah, okay, we'll show up for that." Yeah, we created like a, a slideshow, I think. And oh, that's right, we created oh a slideshow, and we started, and people started agreeing, and we're like, "Really?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're like, "Yeah, that sounds right." I was um, like, okay. Actually, the thing that really, the image that really helped was the funnel image. Yeah. If any of, of our listeners work in marketing or really just any kind of business you probably are familiar with marketing funnel or like buyer's journey kind of thing but just this idea that you might start out at a really high level just wanting some information and then as you go down the funnel eventually you get down to buying the product or the service and we saw there is a parallel between that and the different needs that these organizations met in like the bible literacy funnel how people get from just really broad big questions really basic questions about the bible all the way down to like being really fluent in discipling people i think that that resonated with these organizations because they all kind of place themselves somewhere in this funnel and saw opportunities for collaboration in any case don't want to get too far down that road because this is just setting the stage but yeah and it was but it was encouraging to see that like everybody in the room really did want to collaborate and work together yeah Um, and now the head of our daily bread is the new leader of this coalition. Yeah, we created it and then just handed it over. And then we're like, here, you deal with this. And they did. So it was wonderful. But uh, in that, um, Ted Olson, who just retired from Christianity Today last month, I think, um, who who came up, uh, who came to this meeting, said, hey, why don't you guys write an article about the history of Bible literature? Because we're, you know, there's this open question in this group was like, is Bible literacy actually going down? Who's measuring it? How would we know? Is yeah, it, what is, is it, Bible literacy? Yeah, what is Bible literacy? What counts? Um, and each of these organizations has a kind of a slightly different definition of Bible engagement. Yes, Bible engagement was a big uh, metric for a lot of them. And then and that was problematic for its own reasons. Um, even if it's helpful in some ways, it can it can also be blind to other aspects of what we're talking about. 
So, um, so we thought like, yeah, we would love to do that, you know, research and write a piece on the history of Bible literacy in America, which sounded really, I don't know why that sounded really simple at first, but like, <laughs> we'll just look it up and talk to a few people and figure that out. And, uh, and I, I don't know how long into it were we before we figured out like, oh, this is a, this is, this is a PhD you yeah. know, like, or, or, or multiple books. <laughs> yeah. Multiple books that could be written on that topic. So we had to find an angle into the topic and also just like realistically, what is an actual thread that we can pull on uh, in this big tangle of, of facts out there? And so I think, I don't remember who originally brought this back up. I know this was originally your idea, but I might have reminded you of it in the context of doing the research, which was you had this friend named Greg Johnson who had written oh, yeah. a dissertation on specifically the history of quiet time in the United States, how yes. it, how it developed over the last like 150 to 200 years. You told me that like long before, even before we were doing any of this. And that was interesting to me. And I was interested in someday like reading the dissertation. It was one of us who was like, oh, maybe that's the way. This right. is the way. <laughs> I think we were, we were, I was interviewing people um, from various organizations, and I think we were getting our heads around the topic. And I, I think at some point I became so desperate for one, just one way in. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and yeah, I'm sure you mentioned it, and I probably had completely forgotten about it. Um, but then that actually did become a very like, because the question is, where does where does quiet time or daily devotional reading, where did that ritual come from? Uh, obviously, I've done a lot of work on ritual, but that was one that is like I I knew it had some kind of etymology to it. Um, but I was completely unclear outside of the few things I remember that Greg Johnson had said one, one point in time. So I think that's the route we went and you did a lot of that work looking into the history of the, of the particular ritual. Um, and then we wrote this really long article and cut it down and edited and edited and edited. It was, I mean, it was a full year. I think we worked on this in some way, you know, yeah. at least part time here and there working on it. Yeah, you did tons of interviews with different – I mean, some of it was people I think you'd already been in contact with for the Bible Literacy Coalition. Right. But it was also more people like at Crew and InterVarsity and the Navigators, I think. Yeah. And most of that didn't even make it in the article. I mean, there was yeah. tons of fascinating stuff that got left on the cutting room floor um, because it was just not going to fit the hook. Um, so, yeah, there's much more – I mean, it could be a five-part – series of articles or even, a book even or a book even yes <laughs> um so now the article is here finally i think both we've both felt a great relief with the with the wonderful help of Kara Bettis, mm -hmm. the, the editors behind the scenes at these magazines like christianity today never get the credit that is due thank you Kara. yeah Kara uh, shepherded the whole thing through uh wonderfully and she really helped us i think also see you know, sometimes you just put a lot of things on the page and she helped us see what was important about what we were saying because mm -hmm, yeah. it was just a lot of data at one point to deal with. Um, and now it's out there. And then we and we knew this was going to happen. Uh, I mean, we were already like emotionally preparing <laughs> when, when, you know, it was going to get launched. And it's not even out in the paper version yet, but we, we knew people were going to react. I will say the reaction has been very positive so yeah. far. Which uh, is good. That's been the most surprising, actually, yeah. for me. <laughs> <laughs> Be because I did have, I mean, actually what got us down, going down this road a long time ago, or at least got me thinking down this road, was um, I had done a little blog interview with a seminarian at Southern Seminary 
where I said I don't think everybody should read the Bible every day. Like for some Christians, it's good practice. For some Christians, maybe they need to take a break from that and do deeper dives, take a few days off, take a week off and dive back in and really deep. And that, you know, got a Twitter storm going from whom we would affectionately call the Theo bros. Yeah. I'm sure there were some sisters in there as well. <laughs> yeah. But uh, definitely there was a group of people that reacted very strongly and just said basically any notion of cutting out people's Bible reading was fundamentally flawed in their view. Because the whole point too is it's not about cutting out their Bible reading. It's about questioning this just particular way and as you're calling it a particular ritual, all with the aim of being a better reader of the Bible. Yeah. Uh, that's the whole point of all of this. And and for readers who have not read the article yet and are kind of confused, the article is called, Is It Time to Quit Quiet Time on Christianity Today? And the point of the article was to look at this the history of this practice and question whether or not the way that it's typically or often practiced is the right way to study the Bible or should be held up as like this primary measure of, of spirituality or primary measure of like Christian faithfulness. Yeah. And, and there is, and we do highlight in the article that there are good ways to do daily Bible reading yes. and daily Bible engagement or, you know, to dive into scripture or use it. But, but there is a certain form that is actually seems to be unhelpful or it can be deleterious or it can it can kind of misshape the lens through which you view all of scripture the i mean one of the we, we don't talk about this in the article but one of the most fascinating things for me was um how this kind of puritan practice of uh the quiet hours or the which was a, sitting and praying and kind of basically like realizing that you're not in charge of the rains or the crops mm. and like you need god to come through and of course the puritans believe god was in control of every single thing and so they had a they had this kind of waiting hour where it was spent in basically petitionary prayer, asking God to do the things that He's promised to do: to water the fields, to take care of their flocks, to keep their children healthy, to care for women in labor and delivery. Um, which is which is very like a very biblical thing yeah. to do. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds a little like I don't know the Psalms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so, the, but it, the transition from that into God. I'm going to read a little passage of scripture and show me today what I need to learn from this little passage of scripture. Uh, it wasn't until we started researching this and, and talking to some of these folks involved uh, that it really dawned on me like, oh, that was a that switch right there from God, we need you to do the things that you promised to do into God, show me that that was actually part of a philosophical movement mm-hmm. in Europe and the Americas, um, you know, Kantianism or neo-Kantianism in the late. Uh, 1800s, where, uh, you know, again, kind of humans become the rational measure of all things, and you need to show it to me, and unless you can prove it to me, it's not true. That kind of general sentiment fed into this, uh, you know, I, I'm not saying it's, it was the sole determining cause of it, but it certainly fed into this idea that God needs to show me something every day from Scripture. And of course, if you're raised with that kind of daily devotional reading, you're probably thinking like, well, what's wrong with that? Um, so yeah, what would be the the main problem with that view if you're demanding from God every day? Probably just a general misunderstanding of what the word of God is and how, like what its point is, what its purpose is and how it works together as a whole, uh, as a whole body of literature and as a whole system of thought. Yeah. Well, the whole point too is the Bible is not just a rule book. So if you're just trying to mine, the correspondence between Paul and this particular church and church and history for 
what you know should i date this person or not or something like that is a more extreme version of this kind of thing then you really are not going to be reading the bible in a way that's faithful to the context or faithful yeah. to um the intentions or faithful to the way the wisdom tradition is supposed to shape a person over time and it's not just like this insight that's directed at one person who's sitting alone by themselves and they hear the holy spirit move and speak and then they now know like the significance of that passage it's actually a longer process yeah i think like all the long just the long form reading of scripture that that is required to understand basic things like you know until i started studying mark really closely i just didn't i i think honestly i just didn't really understand how different the gospels were until i started studying mark for my phd dissertation Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. once I really felt like I understood linguistically and conceptually and kind of thematically what Mark was doing, then I read Matthew. And I was like, oh, whoa, this very is different. very different. Yeah. Um, and not just like ones for the Jews, ones for the Gentiles. I mean, like using similar stories in very different ways. And uh, I mean, there's only one way you can kind of figure that out so that you don't make simple category errors where you just say, well, Jesus said, and you're like, well, that's what he said in Mark to this one particular end. And um, and here's how Luke tells that story or Luke emphasizes this, this other thing over here. And so, yeah, there's no way you can get there, get there from limited, what we call micro-dosing, uh, lin- limited encounters. And especially if the encounter is specifically aimed towards like, show me what I need as I go to the grocery store to understand, you know, through this passage mm-hmm. or uh, show me what I need in order to be nice to people at my work today. Um, and you could think of the law as well. How much of the Torah you really need to have been gulping down in order to kind of get a sense of what the, the Torah is doing. And I think, I think too, just in some circles that I was in growing up in church and like a non-denominational evangelical church in Southern California, there is so much emphasis placed on prayer and Bible reading as like the primary Christian disciplines and mm. like way ways of telling basically how faithful you were as a Christian. And obviously those two things are really important, but I, I like, if I ever just really thought about it, I would have to admit to myself that like, what exactly do they mean that reading the Bible is important for growth? Because if you open up to our favorite crazy past, crazy chapter, Judges 19, right. where a woman gets gang raped and cut into pieces, like, you're not just going to be reading that, you know, with your coffee. (laughs) Show me today what I need to learn (laughs) so I can treat my employees well. Depending on how you practice quiet time, it might actually kind of prevent you from even reading certain parts of the Bible because those parts just completely, like, obviously resist that way of reading. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Judges as a book would be right out. Maybe you get up through Deborah uh, (laughs) and Yael, and then after that you'd have to go somewhere else. So some so some people have been responding to this in various mediums since it's come out this yeah. article. Um, how's that? I like we we've already said that it's been actually surprisingly positive. People not just kind of like superficially agreeing, but a lot of people like seem to have read the article and are like, "Oh yeah, I'm a pastor. I've seen this in my church for a long time," or "I'm a biblical studies graduate student, and this is like a big concern of mine." and it's also, we should admit, it's a long article. I mean, Christianity Today actually yeah. kind of gave us more Extra words. I think it's over uh, 3,000 words. Yeah, which is, is on the longer end even for them, but they felt it was important. So you can all practice your, your attention span <laughs> reading comprehensions that you can then take to your Bible reading afterwards. There you go, yeah. exactly. Um, 
But it, so you do get the typical reactions because of the title. Is it time to quit uh, quiet time? Which is like a genuine question that we're asking. Yes. <laughs> like, uh, so some people are like, this is clickbait. And you're like, well, it, w- it would be clickbait if we don't actually talk about that question in yeah. the article. But we we do. But, you know, those those are just – and, of course, we we didn't actually choose the, the title. Yeah. That's what editors do. But um, but it's – I agree with the, yeah. the choice. Um, and then you get people who just read the title and think they therefore understand all 3,500 words yeah. uh, in that five-word five, five word title and just say, well, like, this is silly. Anybody who tells you to do away with scripture reading doesn't know what's best for you or whatever, which all they're doing is basically – reinforcing the rituals that they believe are true of, uh, you know, a good spiritual life. As um, mature Christians who have access to Scripture, who want to understand it, like, of course, we should be in it regularly and in, in various forms. Um, but that kind of failure to stop and take, take a, you know, a, a thought about history and the history of the church, both in, in, you know, Jews and Christians who have the Scripture for thousands of years, that most of them, most people throughout history were not reading scripture every day. In fact, they had limited access and usually probably access through their ears, hearing it read in um, synagogue or in church every week. And so, you know, what I've been saying, I don't think we say it in the article, but, you know, people who can't imagine a rich spiritual life where you're not reading scripture every day just can't imagine what most Christians have done throughout history. Um, So they can't imagine how those Christians could have had a, a rich spiritual life. So I think that in and of itself should warn us that there's probably something more to a good spiritual life than daily. And I didn't know this until I talked to like InterVarsity and Campus Crusade and the Navigators. Um, that at one point in history, when you ask somebody, if somebody asks you, "How's your walk with God?" What they're really asking you is, "How's your daily quiet time? Um, how How's your daily Bible reading?" So, I think there is a little failure of imagination. Uh, that this is a ritual that has emerged and it's emerged in a particular context. It doesn't make it wrong, um, but it does mean you have to think about what it's doing, which is what we're trying to do in the article. So to see like those, uh, they're not even hot takes because they didn't even really read the article. They just read the title and kind of reacted to it or read the first paragraph or two and reacted to it. Um, And then, you know, we don't try to be heavy handed in solutions, but we try to offer some, alternatives, the kind of the nothing's new under the sun alternatives um, to daily Bible reading and not alternatives to daily Bible reading, but things that should be done in addition Mm -hmm. if you were to really have that kind of. And alternatives to like this very individualistic, like almost like the Bible as a meditation tool kind of reading, which we think should be stopped, like should end and be replaced with. And I mean, and I we give the example of you know the my parishioners, my older um, parishioners in the church where I was a pastor. Um, that you know, if you know scripture really well, like I mean, sometimes I will take just a small passage where I know the whole book very well. I know where that passage occurs, and I'll like say, "Oh yeah, why does he say it that way?" And I'll meditate on that, and I'll think like, "Okay, what what does this tell me about God's God's world?" That this you know that this one thing is being said right here. So it's not like that's wrong, um, but that's just not where most people are at. That's not how people are engaging scripture. So, what did we, I don't remember even what all we. Um, so there's, I mean, there's a bunch of different things, and I guess maybe some Anglicans and some Methodists will be feeling very um, <laughs> tri- actually triumphant. on Twitter. There are a bunch of <laughs> Anglicans who are like, "Welcome, can I introduce you to the Daily Office?" Yeah, um, which. But, 
which yeah. is good, but yeah. is actually not enough of what yeah. we're talking about either. Yeah, because it's that could be one one thing uh, among, as you put it, a matrix of scripture practice or scripture reading practices. Yeah. So maybe daily office. Public reading of scripture was a big one, although I will say I think that that's also not enough. Yeah. I think that having that, having daily office, maybe having private reading as well, all kind of towards the end, to the end of getting together, hopefully with like a church group or a church Bible study where you can um, read more, read and study more in depth. So you already maybe are reading like long, ch- longer chunks of text, whole books, and then coming together and drilling down and focusing more on like a specific chapter, already having some of the context, but now you're trying to ask your questions, you're hearing other people's perspectives and experiences. And I mean, and that's changed. The more that I focused on that, I happen to have a really great Bible study at my Anglican mm. church. <laughs> <laughs> happens to be Anglican, <laughs> happens, happens to be, to be great. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so we do all of these things. We have we have like the daily office. We have we're reading the entire New Testament together for Lent as an entire church and discussing that. Although that's pretty like fast paced, to be honest. Um, we do our own personal reading, and then, but when I do read on my own or when I'm listening to the to the New Testament, just kind of like in broad sweeps, I'm always thinking about like bringing it to the group. Like it's instead of reading it for me and for today and for my life and having that be kind of like the end of my reading, the end of my reading is to like bring it. I'm always like thinking about like, okay, what, like even like, okay, what, what might Julia say about this? Like if she were reading it, like I even think in terms of specific people I know of like, what might they be thinking when they're reading this and, or what might, or what questions might arise from the group. Um, And then, and then, and what are my questions? And then when we get together and talk about specific chapters, then you um, already are prepared and are already thinking in terms of like, okay, this is, I already know that there's a lot of complexity here that I don't see, Hmm. but I'm like opening, I'm like getting the contours of it and opening myself up to that. And I'm sure some people are thinking like, no, those Bible studies are exactly why I read it alone because I don't want to hear how Julie feels about this text Uh, or what it reminds her of or, uh, so yeah, we're actually not, I mean, again, there's, there is a place and time for just hearing people's raw emotive reaction to scripture. Um, but mainly we're talking about in groups where you're saying, what did you hear? What, yes, did, what did the yeah. text do? How, why, why did Paul phrase it that way? Why did John phrase it that way? Why does it, why is the Torah so blunt in its description of God um, and, and non-romantic in its description of humans? If you, and if you want like a really practical step to take like in if if you have a bible study where it's frustrating it tends to be people kind of repeating a lot of the same stuff not um really digging into the text talking more about their own like emotional re- responses not that emotional responses are are always you know unhelpful or anything like that but i think one really practical thing to do is just have the leader kind of outline what they want you to do during the bible study and maybe one thing that we do that I really like is we have, we'll read the the passage together and then we'll take a few minutes quietly to write down our questions, to take notice of things that were repeated, to take notice of things that um, are alluding to other parts of the Bible, asking questions about the characters and the themes and the metaphors. And so, and that's what our Bible study leader tells us to think about in that time that we're like just making notes in the margins. And then when we come together, our discussion is very focused. Yeah. And and just having a you know if there's somebody leading it or if it's kind of a you know laissez-faire group led 
Um, just always returning to, yes, but what does the text say? Yes. How does it say it? You know, of like John's gospel says, of the many things that could have been said about Jesus, I chose these things uh, that you might trust that he's the Christ. And so, and Luke says the same thing in his, his uh, prologue, you know, there's this an orderly account. So they're pointing out to you, there's many different ways they could have said it. They chose this way to say it, knowing there were other gospels. Um, so just respecting those decisions. And like you said, if you just followed metaphors in, in the text, the movement of the text, like the feeling of how it moves and comes to high points and low mm-hmm. points, um, and repetition, like if you just did those three things, um, you know, sometimes it changes your entire view of a passage or a section of scripture because mm-hmm. you just always had this spiel or this take or you had mm-hmm. your pastor spiel on it. <clears throat> you know, I, people always ask me, um, you know, they'll say like, my pastor says this about this passage. What do you think about that? And um, so I realize people are constantly carrying around spiels on mm-hmm. that they've heard. And, you know, often they're good ones and they're helpful. Um, but sometimes they're not. They're ignoring what the text is doing. So it's in some ways it's not rocket science. Oh, um, yeah, it's not. It's so simple. There just has to be like this discipline. Discipline. And there has to be like this attitude of like let's ask honest questions. Let's learn how to let those real questions guide the discussion. Be comfortable with kind and loving disagreement. And also maybe have like habit habits or methods for bringing people back to the to the text when yeah. they start to take too much time talking about something that's uh, tangential. <laughs> but, but you know, if somebody is, is is they need the group to help like emotionally process, mm, yeah. you can't shut them down and be like, "Sally, stay on the text." You know? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, obviously, you need to be sensitive to group dynamics, but. Um, if you're there to study the text, um, you, you really do need someone or someones who will say like, great, okay, now that now that we got that on the table, let's go back to the text and see what it says and how it says it. Um, so it is, a, it, it is a disciplined reading um, and admitting that you can't figure it out on your own. And even you and God together won't figure out all what – you'll hear more wisdom of God from the people of God than you will if it's just you and God mm-hmm. if, in that way. And sometimes you'll come to the end of your chapter with your group and you'll be like, we don't really understand this yet. Right. And then and then I've literally had this happen with my Bible study. Well, we'll come to the end of a chapter. We're like, we're still kind of confused. And then by the time we get a few chapters later or maybe by the end of the book, we're like, oh, that's what that's what Jesus was talking about. Yeah. And, and it's, and someone will point that out and it's like a, your mind is just blown. And, but that's, to me, that's the, the method is working at the very end. We do, we do say like the goal is not to quit quiet time. The goal is to like, you know, put it within all these other practices and, and kind of, but, but I think that was confusing because we were using quiet time throughout the article as almost this like technical term to mean a specific ritual um, that we are basically saying needs to stop, like this individualistic, fragmented kind of way of reading the Bible. Um, so at the end, we weren't really we we realized we were equivocating uh, after the fact, and right. what we really probably meant to say was like we you don't need to cut out daily Bible reading necessarily. You don't need to cut out certainly don't need to cut out reading the Bible on your own. You just need to um, realize that that is not the be all end all, and you actually need more people and more ways of encountering the text to really get to understand what's going on. You've been listening to the Biblical Mind Podcast, exploring the deep structures of Christian scripture 
For more, visit the magazine at thebiblicalmind.org. Subscribe to this podcast at all the usual places so you never miss an episode.